By the way, if you want to grab a drink, I don't know if you're drinking. I have poured myself a glass of wine long before this. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I was like, this will help. Yeah, that's why I got the whiskey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cheers. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Hot Coffee for the Creative Soul with me, your host, Ryan Castellez of Discourse Coffee in Sister Bay, Wisconsin. I am so happy you're joining me this week for another fantastic conversation with an inspiring creative professional. We have a little bit of a switch up, folks. I know I said at the end of last episode, my conversation with Luke Rivard, that I would be featuring my conversation with Lee Carter of 5 Watt Coffee this week. That conversation is still scheduled for the airwaves, but has been moved back one week as it was needed to be split into a two-part series. When I got down to editing it, I realized there was so much content that I thought would be valuable to y'all that I wanted to put it in two parts. And so before the release of that next week, I've thrown in an incredible conversation I was lucky enough to have with my longtime friend and comrade Lucy Hakevich of The Lightbox in Ephraim, Wisconsin. Lucy and I have been on a co-inspirational journey (laughs) of business ownership and friendship for half a decade now, and it has been an honor to see her and her business grow. Lucy is an incredible visual artist and printmaker and is literally sunshine in human form. So without further ado, my conversation with the one and only Lucy Hakevich of The Lightbox. Thank you so much for coming on to Hot Coffee for the Creative Soul. This is really exciting because I think these conversations are things that people need to hear. I feel pretty strongly that as a professional creative, somebody trying to make your living off of this, there's like one of two ways that you tell people you are. It's like either, yeah, everything's awesome. It's so great. Or like you've gotten to that point where it's like so dismal that you're just like, I need a break. But like we <laughs> not talk at all about like the messy middle, which is where most of us spend almost all of our time, which is that place where we tell people that it's really great. And then like behind the scenes, we're like, am I going to be able to like pay rent next month? Pay you my place? <laughs> That's real. And so I feel like having vulnerable and honest conversations with people who are going through it is something that could be a really helpful thing for people who maybe don't know if this is a journey they want to take, or maybe they have already taken the dive and they just want a sense of solidarity to know that other yeah. people are going through the same things. Because I think something that we cost ourselves by all being so strong all the time is the ability to have vulnerability and talk with people about the fact that it's hard and that there are things that make it a very, very, very difficult life to live and also a very, very rewarding life to live, incredibly rewarding. But to like have an honest conversation about the challenges, I think is super important. But before we get to that point, I 
would love to hear about your creative journey. So like, when did you realize that you wanted to create things? I, I know you've been a creative and an artist most of your life. Like, do you, yeah. do you have a moment, like an inception point where you were like, oh man, like I love creating things. And, and has your medium always been visual art or have you created different things throughout your life? I don't have a specific memory of it starting. I just know that like it's always been there with wanting to make stuff, but I do have a memory like second grade drawing some like horses on a computer screen at recess and people congratulating me on how good it was. And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to be an artist. If people are going to tell me I'm doing a good job, I'm going to keep doing it. So I think it was a lot of positive reinforcement from the beginning. Do you think that you would have kept drawing pictures of horses if they hadn't told you you were a badass? I actually don't know if it continued the horse direction anyways, so <laughs> I like to mix it up, you know. There's And yes, I have done many directions in art, but definitely primarily the visual arts. I made like fake newspapers and I would like write whole articles about magic washing machines and like, and then I was doing videos where I was making commercials or music, so it was mostly the visual arts, but in many realms. It's pretty interesting to me. Every single creative I've talked to so far has said that they made videos as a kid. Consistent. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that that so often evolves into all of these kind of like lifelong creative pursuits. Right. Well, maybe it was like also just our parents having those, you know, home video cameras because that's where it started with me. Totally. And I think we should all have a film festival of our like childhood mini videos because I think it'd be an amazing short film festival. Will you host the light box? I want to. If it was any bigger, I've been dreaming of it. (laughs) The light box, uh, printmaking studio, a little beautiful space. You've really created something wonderful in Ephraim, Wisconsin. When did the light box open again? That was four or five years? 2018. Yes. I just had my third season. Third season. Kind of wrap up. Yeah. That's crazy. When when did you find printing? Was it in college that you found printing or did you know that printmaking was something you were going to be interested in before that? So it started in high school. IB art was like a extra long art class for kids who just needed more time, I guess, like diving into it. So I had my final week in high school was a play day where we like learned to screen print. So that's where I learned the hand painting technique. Yes. I chose the the most difficult image right away and I had this really intricate fox lots of lines and lots of shading and I painted it in reverse so I painted all the negative space and so it was like extremely difficult but it was so like I don't know the process of it you know it kind of was meditative so that's when I did it that way and then in college Madison was very much a screen printing community my professors were both actively doing fine art screen printing and like displaying in local galleries and doing shows. So that was really inspiring. And they took us to some legit print shops in town where artists editions were being done. So that brought me into like the like, real side of it with all the real equipment. And then when I like left college, I was back to zero equipment and I went back <laughs> to the high school technique. <laughs> How long of a period was there between you graduating from college and you buying the spot where you're at because i mean i think that's a really important thing here too is you bought this spot like that's that's incredible and it's let me back up let me stick to this timeline it was like i graduated in december i did my mini victory lap of extra semester in college and then 
I like bought a ticket to Ireland. So I was like, shit, I, I'm free now. I'm going to go live my crazy broke life. I was gone a month. And I think I flew back like the beginning of March and signed the mortgage papers for my wow. shop. It was a very short period of freedom. <laughs> I mean, this is a little story just to regale. I mean, for us to reminisce and regale everybody else. I remember oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. even like open discourse. I think I was on a ro- my road trip. Like I, I went on this uh, seven week road trip and I was trying to see all of these coffee shops and bars and restaurants and just kind of coagulate all these ideas in my head so that I could know what I wanted to piece together and spit back up for discourse. And this I was like, info trip. Yeah, yeah. The, which if you are thinking about doing something like take an inspo trip, it's an amazing way to start off a venture. And I was sitting in, oh, I, I want to say like McDonald's. And the best place <laughs> on your trip, right? <laughs> the absolute best restaurant I went to, McDonald's. You called me about, hey, I, th- I think I'm going to like purchase this space. And I had absolutely no place giving anybody advice at that point. You were very uh, assuring, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I was like, yeah, do it. Let's go. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was like, cool. I am so ready for this now. Like, I got this one guy telling me, like, <laughs> fuck yes, 100%. And that's what I wanted to hear. So, I mean, I was actually very yeah. unsure about it. I was like had a little breakdown. I was like, this is a big responsibility. And then I was like, wait, I love Dark County. I'm probably just going to be here anyways. Why not try? You had to take a mortgage to buy the space, right? Yeah. Was it terrifying? How did you make that leap? No. Uh, <laughs> it was so that so <laughs> scary because I have a credit union. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Folks, you heard it here first and go through a credit union. <laughs> Nothing, sure? is so scary. Nice. Nothing is scary. It, it was like the most <laughs> adorable that's like the single location in in green bay it's (laughs) related to my dad's company yeah they're so so nice so they were just like oh here have some coffee in our nice you know like lounge and then we'll sign these papers and here's your keys like i don't know the scariest (laughs) part was that verna the old owner slid um, a stack of stapled paper together that was bylaws for the condo association and i had (laughs) at that point not known it was a condo association <laughs> or that there was such thing as bylaws. I had no clue. So I just like smiled and took the keys and were like, okay, here I go. Did any of this feel real to you at the time or did the reality of the whole thing no. make a parent later? It's more than like the technical details, like paying your mortgage and like hustling to make that money. You know, that's what makes it real. Yeah. Not really the moment in the bank or the credit union. <laughs> that was like, oh, this that, is fake. Yeah. I mean, and at that point, to some extent, it is still just this dream form. You know, it's like this very ethereal thing that like, even though you like have a space now and you're like on the dotted yeah. line, like there's still so many steps between the moment. And I didn't know that. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was like the hardest phase. Like if you were to talk about the real shit or like the gray areas of business ownership, that first seven month period probably of owning a place. I was like, oh, I like wake up and it's like having an extra leg or something. You're like, what do I do with it? I've never had this. So that was a really interesting period where I was just like, the light box will just poof in front of me and it'll be ready. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have the keys now. I opened them all, right? Right. No, I was, it took me a minute. It took me to like the next year. <laughs> How long did it end up taking you from signing on to doing the renovations and figuring out your, your model and working with the city and making sure the building color was okay? I mean, I know like, oh gosh, yeah. of, like you, know, you, you went through some stuff to make sure that you could do the conversion you needed to. Okay. So I really could have asked for more permission, but I'm more of an ask for forgiveness type person. So 
I don't know how much advice I don't listen to this podcast. Ephraim is also very (laughs) extra. Like, I think the rest of the world will let you get away with more. But yes, I had to approve like my door color and the white that I was going to paint my building from like, like it was March when I got the place. Then it was like summer. So I just pretended kind of that it didn't exist and (laughs) just worked at restaurant job and lived my like hippie like in the clouds summer life and then in winter I kind of buckled that I was like okay this is when I need to rip up the carpet and like make these walls look less ugly or it's never gonna happen <laughs> and I have money now you know like I worked yeah. that whole summer to, to make yeah. money and I could renovate it because I didn't have you know I didn't have a dime like spent all of it before I even went to Ireland before I got the mortgage so it was just like when catching you- up opened that first year because I know your concept has as almost all concepts do like and this is something I feel a lot of us run up against is like when we are about to open our business we have this super clear vision for like what our business is and what we're going to do and how it's all going to function and then almost inevitably within like a year we have pivoted somewhere Uh, and regardless of whether that's even recognizable from our original intent but you know it's like how how do we make these like little pivots and I know at Lightbox you've gone through that journey Uh, when you first opened the doors you were doing kind of consignment right and then it it kind of like switched around do you want to just walk people through that little bit of a journey that the concept has taken and and that ability you've had to be malleable the biggest pivot was deciding that I should not open a sorbet shop because that was the like very, very first. I was like, I don't want to do art for a career. Like that was for the guys in college. And then I was like, wait, I don't know how to make sorbet. Okay, I'll do art. And then I was like, yeah, it's going to be a, a super flex space. Like everything's on wheels. Everything's mobile. I'm going to change it all the time. And that was fun. And then I did the consignment thing because I needed product and I was too busy rearranging things to like be making my own art. So then I got to bring in like 25 and then went up to like 40 primarily female artists. Lots of girls that I knew from college who were just up and coming too. And we were all in the same stage together. So that was really fun. But then it was another time to shift when I was like, I am not keeping any of the sales revenue. I wasn't making my own product. I wasn't selling it. Everyone was going to get in the money back and I wasn't giving myself a good enough cut. And then since my shift away from consignment and just focusing my nine to five energy on making my own work, that has been like a whole new business. It just feels like walking into like the correct or closer to the right light box. I don't, I'm never, I don't know if I'll ever get there. I still have a big fat list of desires, but yeah, I feel like it's a whole new place now that I'm producing and selling like primarily my work and feeling that recognition gets me going to do it more and and I hopefully can make some real money. I feel like that goes, hopefully, (laughs) I feel like that kind of goes hand in hand with being a creative is you you get through a year and you're like oh okay I, I accomplished this thing and this thing and this thing except now like my dream for the space is entirely different so like now you know I'm gonna like now next year I gotta do this thing and this thing and this thing and it is kind of just this constantly evolving process where it's a moving target I don't think any of us have just like one set goal and when we get there it's like oh yeah I haven't thought about any new goals for the last three years that it took me to reach no, this goal yeah, no, way. <laughs> no. that was the dreamer thing. brain we're both like oh optimistic dreamer we can follow we could do it ever like why would we ever have a list with like one thing on it yes yeah i have many many more things i'd like to do but also it's like limits by financial stuff like upgrading equipment and things like that yes we would talk a lot about that in my conversation with marcus 
a couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about the transition from being a creator to a curator. And you know, both of us kind of running coffee shops, building teams, I think both of us felt a little bit like, okay, we started this as a centralized creator. And then as your company grows, you become a little bit more curatorial and, and your role kind of becomes guiding and teaching your staff and, and helping them to curate a holistic experience for your guests. I feel like you, in a way, have kind of had the opposite journey where you started as a curator working with all of these different incredible female artists and then flipped that into really being the kind of centralized creative who's putting out the majority of the work. Was that a crazy transition for you to take your model, which people know this model as, oh yeah, it's a really cool shop that supports 40 female artists from around the Midwest and then transition that model into, oh, it's Lucy who's making incredible prints. But you know, was that was that an interesting switch for you or for your customers? It was an improvement. Like nobody came in and was like, whoa, like how dare you change it? People were like, whoa, you changed it, but I like it, you know, almost everyone. And then I intentionally shifted it to employ myself full time for my own work because that's what I got into this to do is like make the stuff that's right for me. And if I'm spending most of my nine to five hours on managing and curating other people's stuff. I could be putting that time into, okay, if I'm my best employee, if I'm my hardest worker, I could actually crank out more. Like, And so it was a big change from thinking about making art as like, when I feel inspiration hit me and then being like, okay, Lucy, you're going to wake up at seven and you're going to eat breakfast and you're getting inspiration by eight. Like that's how <laughs> this is going to go for the rest of summer. You don't get to socialize until you're done doing your work. And I was like, wait, fuck yeah, I'm an artist. My work's the best. So that it like made it the best job ever. So I'm really happy for the shift and people have been very welcoming of it. And it helps too, because my stuff's a little weirder. So now when people come in from, they're bopping around Fish Creek and they end up in Ephraim and they're like, you know, it used to be such like a welcoming pink space. And now it's a little bit, it's a little more like my style of darker colors and taxidermy animals or whatever. I know it'll bring people who truly want to buy my work and like we can meet and connect on that and have more genuine experiences in the shop. Absolutely. Did you feel like when you made that transition from I'm going to wait to be inspired to I have to be inspired by 8am? Did putting your work in a pressurized environment like that change your relationship to the act of creating the work? Did it make it easier, harder, better, worse, no change? Like when it went from something that you did because you loved it to something that you did because you needed to keep the doors open and you loved it, did that affect your relationship to making the work? So far, it's it's a bit of great improvement but I have always approached this fearing that I would end up disliking that because I did like I tried photography and like making that into a job wasn't making me happy I was worried that would happen with this too but the good thing is that with the more time that I force myself to just kind of make it a muscle of inspiration where I'm like at least considering what I'm going to draw next then when I sit down at the blank page I have had way more time considering my ideas and so more comes out it's easier it's less pressure than if I just take two weeks to sit down and I finally do it I'm like okay right now crank something out in two hours like it's better this way an organized creative you're like amazing and that's like I'm the opposite person to ever ever have this happen to so whoever's (laughs) out there listening thinking that they will not get their shit together I mean I cannot believe how early I get up and I go to work in the morning for myself and it is 
succeeding. <laughs> I mean, we've been really, really dear friends for years. And I mean, I've observed this transition, you know, between, and you've always been a badass. Like that has never not been a character trait of Lucy. That transition, did that happen naturally where you got this ability to just, okay, I'm a grown up. I'm going to bite down. And like, <laughs> what, what was that like? Did that happen over time? Was it years, months? Because for me, it's like, I saw a stark transition in Lucy-ness in like a, I feel like a four or five month span where it's like all of a sudden it was just like you went from like the wonderful freewheeling creative to like the wonderful creative who like is on rails and like has systems and like <laughs> and it seems so fast to me but like did that happen slower in your brain or, or did it just like one day you were like okay let's go let's do this I think there was a bit of a wake-up moment I mean I am dating a very, very organized on-time person. So I think having his example of his approach to how he completes texts and he likes to see them through has really inspired me to see the positives in that because I've always been like, okay, with not finishing things. I've always been like, whatever, I'm not going to get myself down. And like, I have a million books that I've started that I haven't finished. But now there was like a satisfaction of like, dang, like, finishing stuff is awesome too. Like this, this makes me feel good. It combined with the realization that if I wanted to get out of working in a restaurant part-time all the time, something's going to have to change. Like I can't just like go to the beach for four hours and then like throw in a little part-time. I got to stop going to the beach for a little bit and like buckle in on this other side of things. And then hopefully I can, you know, bring it back to like, I'm still going to bounce around spontaneously, but I got to set myself up. Yeah, yeah, first. So you went down to one night a week serving, bartending this year? Yeah, one or zero when possible. Let the other girls get the busy, busy July shifts. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Setting a realistic timeline for people, you know, that took, what, three three years? Three, two and a half seasons yeah. to, to be able to get to a place with Lightbox where you felt like, okay, I can you know, only serve one or zero nights a week and still make what I need to to be a happy sustainable person yeah and I think like I got an earlier start on it I've had such a different mental conception of winter you know with our seasons around here you work super freaking hard so I like carried that mentality over from the restaurants into my business and then I was like wait if I like even it out and maybe take the burden over the whole year and start early in spring and go deep into winter and fall like you know I won't have to bust my ass so much in summer have a more balanced life yeah. Because those 90-hour weeks kill. It's like smoking kills, but... Just, it's hard. It like Then it taps into, like, your creative energy, yeah, right? Yeah, like, If you, you know, and that's important to your business. Can't drain yourself if you're your number one employee. You three, you know, you're sitting down, and now you have an established clientele. You know, you get a couple thousand followers on Instagram. You have some people who have bought your things repeatedly. Yeah. When you're sitting down to create now for the white box, is are you still coming from the same place that you were day one? If it's like I'm gonna make the shit that I want to make, or are you starting to think about okay, this is my clientele. I know that my clientele really buys a lot of shirts like this, so I should be printing. 30% shirts like this and the rest just my creative work. Are you creating for others or are you still creating from that place of like, no, people come here because they know that I'm going to say exactly what I want to say through my art whenever I want to say it? Yeah, I think it's that the closer I get towards what I want to be making, the better I feel about the customers I have. And maybe it's not like the widest range, but I feel, you know, like 
pretty palatable art. I could be making crazier stuff, but I know ahead of time, like people are going to like this, but I don't have specific people in mind or like, I know that the mushroom design sold really, really well. So I could like dive into a whole mushroom series. But honestly, I knew that people would be into it before I made it because who isn't into mushrooms? They're fucking awesome. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't feel like I'm like catering. I think people like it when I'm getting weirder and more into my specific stuff. As somebody who's selling Prince Direct, do you have a lot of repeat customers? Is, is a lot of your business from people who have patronized you before and they love your style and they love your work? Or is it a lot of new business in the door? I think this year was a lot of repeats. So that was really cool. It felt like more of the customers this year were like, I'm so happy to be back. Like I'm here again. And that's the first time where I noticed, you know, the other years that people would stumble and be like, wow, this is cool. And now I, I think I'm like a little more on the radar. So it's so, 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 so cool when your regulars come in and you're like, I have regulars. <laughs> From the coffee world, I can relate to that. Holy, I mean, and your shop it's is so it, it, it is so super like, cool. Thank you. I think there's a couple of businesses just right there in Short Village between you and Rusty Dusty, where you retail shops with regulars, and that actually work to create communities where you know yeah. you'll come into Lightbox and sit down and hang out with you for a half an hour, and then yeah, like, bring me lunch. <laughs> Exactly. You know, like, and, and I think that is, I think that's so cool and it's so valuable. And it's, I think. Yeah, the couches are built it. into the space. Like, I, <laughs> I have thought about how to, like, best use the space, and the couch must be a part of it so people can hang out with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful, wonderful touch. I love it so much. This year, or maybe even last year, um, you brought on an employee, correct? Where you had somebody kind of like watching the shop some days when you weren't there? Yeah, so that was Phoebe, and she has worked in multiple screen printing studios in Milwaukee, so she's totally qualified, which is awesome. Um, but she's just my best friend's little sister from forever ago in high school, too. So we, I've known her um, since, yeah, living in Green Bay. And she's a sweetheart. I think she represents like the space pretty well. And, you know, she's such a sweet person. I just, whoever's in there, like, I don't care what they do. I don't care if they have never drawn a stick person, but, you know, like they just have to be welcoming and, you know, offer that pot, the, the attitude of the space. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, in a space like Lightbox, it's so beautiful and cozy and small that that interaction is like almost forced. Like, we have to acknowledge each other. Yes, yes. It's like, otherwise it would be the weirdest thing ever. It's like, who is that person just right. standing yeah. there? But that's why like these little businesses are so, their energy is so important. Like all of us, I think, spend a lot of time thinking about the, every detail because you're all crammed in there together and that's going to create a feeling and an experience that adds on top of your product and that's a memorable part of it sometimes yes you also brought on uh kind of like an administrative assistant kind of thing right that was helping you out with some of the organization and i was trying to get sarah to be my like super assistant and she is a super assistant she would kick ass assisting anyone who like was a little more organized than me but i didn't realize that you need to like have tasks to delegate you delegate them. yeah so, so like i hope in the future to like legit have some form of help that I create a, a list of projects for but she was basically like shipping out my order which is awesome because like this year was the first time having online orders and that really helped me when I wasn't present she could be you know the one wrapping it up and getting it out to people 
Yeah. When you're going about a, a normal week at the Lightbox, how much of that time do you think you're spending creating art versus running the business, like doing your finances and social media and website updates and making sure the space is looking nice? Like, do you know kind of where that time divide lays for you? I wish I had the real number. Um, this is like the year Lucy looks at numbers, like it makes, <laughs> makes Excel spreadsheets maybe even, like that'll be huge. Oh! Um, yeah, I have like percentages of stuff, like average 93% of my sales the last three years have been between the months of June and November, which is six months of the year. So that's kind of crazy. Uh, but yeah, of my sales, but that's wow. now I'm online and I've got this mini box set up so I can do year round, but on a smaller scale. So I don't know, right now it feels like a lot. I feel like I'm drawing a lot and I think it switches over the summer when I'm like ordering inventory more often or like customer relations, you know, like that kind of stuff takes up time. So maybe it's 50, 50 right now and 30, 70 in the summer, but it's, there's a heavy amount of stuff to do besides the yeah. art part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I don't know a ton about the world of printing. How usual is it for a print shop to do what you do in terms of focusing primarily on owner-driven artwork and a little bit on like client requests because I feel like a lot of print shops out there like their bread and butter is like the local restaurant comes up to them and it's like hey will you print my shirts because I don't want to go through Vistaprint like I feel like that's like the bread and butter of a lot of print shops but I feel like Lightbox like your bread and butter is your vision and it is, is the work that you create. Is that a normal thing in the printing world? Or is it just you being willing to blaze your own path? I don't know. Like, I think I'm in the kind of pool of t-shirt print shops. But when I started, my brain was always like, I'm an artist. Like, I'm just going to make art prints. I'm going to stay true to what I want to make. And I'm not going to become a t-shirt shop. And then <laughs> like that, it just sells, they sell so good. Like it's so practical. Everyone can have an extra t-shirt. You have unlimited space for t-shirts, but only so many people will convince themselves to buy a framed print, you know? So I ended up here. And so I do think I differ from what you would see a lot of printmakers doing. And that's like, it, it is literally the bread and butter. They have to do like bigger orders to generate that kind of revenue. And it's awesome, but it costs money to be set up to do that. So yeah. I feel like I've purposely limited myself in some ways. And like financially, I just am limited because I, I don't have a warehouse. I don't have a, you know, a giant dryer. I don't have a four station press. So those typical places look nothing like my operations, but I do follow a lot of super talented individuals who just try to cut out, you know, like that need and just promote themselves too. And I just wonder what they're doing to like make it work. I mean, nerding out on the business end of things here for a second. Like I think something you did and you might not have even realized you were doing it at the time. I didn't with this course was by getting a mortgage on a small space, you kept your overhead low. And you allowed yourself to pursue what you wanted to in terms of, okay, I don't need to take these gigantic corporate size t-shirt orders to keep the doors open because my overhead is low enough that that isn't necessary, that I, I can generate the revenue I need to cover my overhead with a minimal amount of sacrifice of, of what I actually want to do, of what I'm actually opening the doors for. Yeah, it's like, it makes you kind of bring it down into the essence of the business. And that's like my favorite part of this way that I do screen printing because I took the process from 
high school and I literally took that Fox screen that I tediously painted and I brought it to my dorm room in college and was printing and selling shirts out of my dorm room. And I was like, if this is all I need, I can wash it out in like the bathroom sink or the shower. Like that's all I have to do for right now. And if it can scale eventually, that's awesome. But I was, I abs- I'm like so glad about my tiny space. I, I'm so happy that I didn't buy a warehouse. <laughs> Way to go. That's a, I mean, and like take this as a takeaway, but for anyone listening, it was a start small because the bigger that you start, you know, I think we all have these very grandiose dreams as creative, but if, if you start big, you have to make big money right away to stay alive. And, and what's that? bad, you know, if you can hustle. No, like no. Hustle. you have to realize that like you are not going to make that big money off doing that little creative thing you want to do. Like that big money is coming from somewhere and it, it's probably going to be printing a thousand shirts for right. uh, that restaurant company that owns just 12 restaurants in Green Bay. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That is totally, totally, totally. That's okay. the type of work you got to do. But then. you got to realize yeah, like, that that's where yeah. you're going to be. But so, and I knew going into this, I was not going to do the, because I had my experience with photography and like, I love it. I have no problems with, I, I connect with people so well. I'm happy to make this feel comfortable, but like every single photo you take then for money is somebody else's vision then. And so with this, I was like, absolutely keeping it tiny, keeping my own hands on it. No one else's because then it gets to be less fun. Yeah. Uh, well, now you do obviously make and sell shirts. I imagine that is yes. still, <laughs> even on the small scale, your bread and butter. Uh, and, and that to it me, is. that's kind of a huge part of the reason that you know, we started this podcast is I believe that all of us as creatives, we are constantly standing at the corner of our passion and the need to generate profit. We are constantly at yeah, that yeah. point. And the question becomes, what can I do to create sustainable revenue to keep my business alive and to make sure that I have food on my table and I can pay my employees and I can pay my landlord or or my mortgage owner. And how do I do that without sacrificing my artistic integrity, without sacrificing the person I am as a creative and the work that I want to create? What's that process been like for you in in finding that balance where you're saying, okay, I can't, I will sell t-shirts, but I'm only going to do it this way. Was that a hard process for you to find that that threading that needle of artistic integrity and, and revenue? And is it something that that you're dealing with still daily? I like to just be stubborn and so I, I'm sticking to my guns, but you have to be a little flexible, obviously, to listen to what the market's telling you. If there's an obvious way for you to make a buck and it's not that big of a pain, like do it. And yeah. <laughs> I like t-shirts. I only own t-shirts too, so I get it. Like they're awesome. So <laughs> I'm happy here. I'm happy in this place where I am, but I do know that, like I said, as you like chip away at making that revenue with whatever it is, like, you should always keep your main goal in mind. Yeah, I, I'm always thinking about what I want to do. I'm, I'm a little stubborn with that. <laughs> a little selfish. A little selfish, I guess. That's why I'm doing it. And if it doesn't work out, whatever. But also, you have to be smart. So like now, I've had my fun. Like I've lived in my cloud of magical art land. And I decided that this is also going to be the year of being dedicated to money, motivation, like making sure my numbers look good. Every month, I'm going to check my spending and not just be like, oh, I need it. Like, this will be so cute in the shop. You know, like there should be a reason behind that stuff. And especially when it comes down to like accounting and taxes and all that crap that could like 
super weigh you down. I just don't want it to bury me. So yes, making that a priority. Yeah. And it's hard. It's so hard to live in juxtaposed worlds. Like I imagine if I was in a, an accountant's office and I went to my boss one day and I was like, I have this super creative solution. They'd be like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, man? Right. We're not creative here. Like we, we do numbers. Like we're, we're an accounting agency. And I feel like it's just the opposite for creatives where it is taboo to talk about money. Talking about yeah. needing to make money is like- I'm ready to like, like start even talking an about it. Like, like, and that's, that's shitty, man. Like we shouldn't have to be starving artists to be an artist. Like those two things should right. not be entwined with one another. Well, we should be able to actually say, yeah, I'm running a business. I'm a creative and kill me. I want to make a little money. I, I want to be able right. to live. <laughs> Like, yeah, we want to like grow our businesses because like the, they can't exist in this infant stage and sustain ourselves. Like I would like a house one day. So, yeah, exactly. Um, but I think the difficulty is I want to talk about money now, but I think there's such a perpetuation of, you know, that perfectness that you're talking about where we're so happy. I'm so happy. And I think that can maybe guide people into taking on an artistic dream with nothing more than that false confidence from seeing somebody else do it. So yeah, I think it's really important that we all start discussing the ways to be successful financially, because if we're not sharing those tips, like everyone else is winning. Basically, I started to get mad because I'm like, duh, if I wanted, I could just be doing that e-commerce stuff for everyone, you know, like just buy and sell things on the internet. Like I think everyone makes money on there somehow, but I want to be able to make my business work. So we need those tips out there. I think in a weird way, like COVID has been huge for pushing creatives to uh, embrace things that they never would have before. I mean, I saw this huge in the coffee industry where all of these third wave shops who were way too cool for school forever, mm. uh, ourselves included, doing curbside pickup and delivery and lattes in milk jugs and all <laughs> this stuff that never would have crossed you don't get to lift the box off with the smoke coming out you know it's you know these things that like we couldn't have even fathomed doing for no we are way above plastic jug now you need some straw like like, (laughs) we need we need this money to keep our doors open to keep serving coffee to people and keep doing what i feel like creatives were forced to pivot but also the people who pivoted were the creative people you know what i'm saying like think every artist was like fuck yeah this opportunity to switch it up like i think the ones who drowned are the ones who maybe were too stubborn with whatever you know like weren't flexible in them and that creativity is malleable. Like uh, that was another thing that really came up in my conversation with Marcus. He, he said like, you know, and, and this dude runs a dope coffee shop. He's like, yeah, my, the things I'm most proud of are like, I built that bench or like I fixed that fridge or yeah. like, you know, and, and, and I think we have to as creatives keep in mind that if you are a professional creative, yeah, your actual medium is like part of it, but you are really like a professional problem solver who is practicing an art. And a laborer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's like, who just knows how to do what the boss wants you to do and you're yes. the boss too <laughs> yes exactly and so it's i think it's really interesting how we kind of apply that creativity in other locations of our lives because we need to but i think it's also super helpful to have somebody as a flank like you were talking about with lucas your, your boyfriend it's like okay i think about things this way this person thinks about things this way. What can I learn and take from this way of thinking and way of going about things that can help me be better at my work? And what can I contribute to this person to make them better at what they do? You know, I've had an amazing personal journey with Christina, my girlfriend, and she's 
been unbelievable in, in bringing me to this next stage in my life. Uh, and professionally, my dad, I was able to lean really heavily on my dad and, and what he uh, knows about finances and accounting and making a business work. I mean, I'm incredibly lucky and blessed. You know, I'm like on a soapbox from that perspective because I, I had it easy. But you have to be able to not take too much pride in what you do that you think you can do it without help. You have to know when to reach out and say, hey, man, like, I'm really good at this thing. Like, I'll make you a killer yeah. cup of coffee. Well, I'll make you an amazing t-shirt. But like, I have no idea what a W-4 is yeah, when yeah, I have yeah, to yeah. file it and why. <laughs> yeah, and like, please tell me. Like, please help me with this. And we have to be able to let our guard down far enough to say like, kill me. I'm 23 and not good at everything. I'm sorry. Can you help me a little bit? And oh, allow yeah. ourselves that. I think it's important, right, to have like either someone who you, you love so much that you're like open to like, okay, I'm going to start being open to the ways that you consider the world because maybe I would have never done it without you. And just like in general, people that you admire, people that do yeah. it really well. I think it's really cool that you're talking to other creatives who and more successful people who maybe are in the journey a little longer, like even more ahead of us, like those are the people we should be looking at for a little guidance when we need it. I agree 100%. And I'm hoping that you know, over the next couple of weeks and months, you know, the podcast series will grow to include people at all different stages of their journey, you know, from people who are just starting to people who have been doing it for 10 or 15 years, because I think everybody really does have incredibly valuable perspective on this. I think we all go through a similar set of things, but we all handle it a little bit differently. And all of those experiences, I think, are so interesting. Like, I genuinely love having these conversations with people because it's in lightning to see how different people handle a pretty similar set of struggles. I feel like we all need to like sit cross-legged around each other and like <laughs> Pass the piece have like a sharing circle. Yeah. No, just like an advice group. <laughs> No, it should be more. Maybe I'll start a Facebook group for a hot copy for the creative soul. Just that's a good idea. Yeah, just that's a good idea. You should. Well, if if it pops up, it was this episode, folks. Then we can all we can at least all get together on there and be like, "Whoa, we're all creatives trying to make it on this Facebook page together. We have each other." How do we use this to drive sustainable revenue? (laughs) (laughs) Let's all band together and. fundraise. (laughs) Do you have a single moment or print or memory? You know, you've done so many different things at the White Box from from printing to hosting events to having poetry slams and hangouts. And do you you have a thing that you are the most proud of, of of what you've done so far that really sticks out in your mind is like, yeah. Yes, super, absolutely. The the moment I burned a screen for the first time in there, like that is easily the most impressive thing. I mean, there's so many other things I'm sure, but like that I could think about maybe considering, but this is the moment because for two years I had to be like, uh, I'm so embarrassed. Like I don't have my screen, you know, my, I had this box that I don't know if anybody knows what exposure unit is like, it's just the most expensive piece of equipment that you really, really, really need to be a real screen printing studio. And I was like, no, I'm going to build it. Who needs like a $5,000 LED table when I have a stepdad who's a carpenter and I'm going to buy some lights on Amazon and <laughs> I had the dimensions so laid out, but then I got the wrong lights and then LED technology improved. And so like this year I was finally able to get the right emulsion, time it for the exact right amount of time, have the light, the right distance from the screen and like 
Lucas tells me he just did this in his basement with a lamp over a chair or whatever. And like he was successful the first time. So whatever, but for <laughs> my business, like to make that a repeatable process, yes, repeatability. And, like, print a shirt for a customer with like a really intricate design because I was finally able to use the exposure unit was a, insane it was really awesome i think that also brings up a really good point like if you are somebody who already does what you want to make your business in at home and you're wondering like why is that commercial espresso machine so expensive when it does the same thing as my home espresso machine it's because that commercial espresso machine is doing it 10,000 times a day with incredible uh, yeah. repeatability and accuracy. And it's the same thing here. You might be able to forge together a little printing you know, exposure unit in a basement, but how many times is that going to give you a consistent exposure for the second or run? Or it just might be a pain in the ass and you'll spend so much money on emulsion, which I'm still, to be <laughs> honest, like I think I need a little, I need some more lights to make this thing faster, but I'm, I'm close and there's been times where I've thought about like just buying a real one, but I'm being stubborn. <laughs> the next goal. Yes, the next goal. Yeah, in my next state, if I get this grant, that's on maybe, maybe on the list. No, I might keep mine because I made it. I don't know. <laughs> There's that stubbornness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a crazy journey, but... Is it something that, you know, you think about now and you're like, yeah, I made the right choice. Are you, are you happy with the, the route you've taken? Fuck yeah. Oh my gosh. I, can you imagine like this person inside me, never, like maybe I'm 38 or 47 or 56 or what, I don't know, whatever age, not now. And I have so much, I have like more cats and, you know, like potentially other <laughs> amounts of, and I don't know, maybe, I don't know, like maybe I'll totally think it's dumb five years down the line, but I think it's, this is the best time I could possibly. And you're allowed to do that. Like that's, that's the other thing that I think we like don't give ourselves permission to think is like, okay, you start this company now. And like, there's this feeling that like, oh man, like now I got to do this until I die. And it's like, like you might like, don't think of it like a prison. Yeah. Like you might get six years into the company and be like, this isn't, this no longer reflects the, what I want to say. You know, and, right, and or it, maybe it grows in a direction that it isn't what it looked looked like to you at the beginning. Who knows? Absolutely. Starting early and like putting myself in this place is going to give me like opportunities if I wanted to do something else in the fields I'm interested yes. in. So it's not a loss at all. It's just the biggest thing is if you're going to do it, actually pursue the part of it that makes you happy because even just consider it building a resume, like a big fat expensive resume, and you know it'll put you closer to your next, you know, the next person you want to meet that you would have never talked to if you didn't have that business or whatever. And they inspire you in a totally different direction. Or, you know, you end up collaborating or whatever it is. Amen. I uh, am so grateful for you for taking this time, having this conversation yeah. about your journey. It's an absolutely wild journey. I agree 100%. I mean, it's been a difficult road, but I would never, ever, 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 ever trade it for the world because there is something... You wouldn't have this right now. Exactly. I mean, and I think that's exactly the part of the point of what you were just saying. You know, it's like you will, no matter what, you dive in, you, you follow your passion, you follow your dream, whether that succeeds or fails, you can't really fail. I mean, maybe the business doesn't end up working out. There are a lot of people whose first businesses don't end up working out. Discourse is like my fourth business. I feel like I've had like seven businesses. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's not about the individual business working out at the end of the day. It's really, it's just about how do you follow your heart 
and and do it in a See, way we're starters we're starting yeah. yes we got the dreams it's good to finish some stuff but maybe finishing is selling you gotta, exactly you gotta you gotta realize that like okay this is this is a thing now and i have to operate this and you know yeah, but yeah. if that time comes where okay i have to shut the door and and maybe that's financial or maybe it's kind of like me where right now i'm i'm kind of at a point in my life where it's like i have to really reevaluate the relationship that i have with my business and, and we change and we mature and we get 100%. new responsibilities that we didn't know about when we were 22 yes a hundred percent and i think that's okay you can reevaluate. and at the end of the day what you've gained is everything that you've built for yourself you know i i would not be able to be talking to you right now i would not be able to be at carrie working in the alcohol rdna team i would not be able to be doing a radio show sponsored by my business if i hadn't gone through that journey no right. matter what happens in the future what we've built is a success because it set the stage for the next chapter. And so I think it's an amazing thing that you've done. I'm so proud of you and stoked for you and hey. your journey. And I'm so happy that you've chosen to share that with people. And I'm, I'm really excited for people to hear your story. When people finish listening to this and inevitably want to buy all of your stuff, where can they find you on the interwebs? So my most active internet presence is Instagram. My handle is lightboxdoco. And I built myself a website this winter. So it's nothing fancy. It's the-lightbox.square.site. Um, but you can find it through my Instagram. Um, and yeah, so I'll be updating somewhat more frequently now. Hopefully I'll try to do online sales and kicking out the in-person sales ASAP, hopefully by April or at the latest May. When yeah, the weather is warmer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, check out Lightbox and Ephraim when the weather warms up. Otherwise, you can check it out all winter long at that web presence, Lightbox Doko. Thanks. Shout out to Rusty Dusty holding it down at Sherwood Village right now. Go shop Heck with yeah. them. <laughs> Heck yeah. They got the warm clothes. All of them on Instagram too. I, I think I'm going to buy a jacket off them like right now actually it'll I'm keep you that. warmer you should definitely with these what with this weather definitely i i have my winter jacket i wear right now with this bitter cold is from rusty dusty Dude, mine too promo. mine too no way no both of us both of us they're both the best us. they're outfitting all the yeah they're, they're outfitting during county outfitting creative since <laughs> since whenever they came to Drake county they got <laughs> Make it country what cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds, <laughs> and then show is that the key to our successes? Is it actually Rusty Dusty Fowling? <laughs> Shouts out, <laughs> Adam Jaggy. Shouts out. Yeah. <laughs> they just switched condos. This all comes down to them. Yeah. <laughs> Friends is a wrap on our third episode of Hot Coffee for the Creative Soul with me, your host, Ryan Castellas of Discourse Coffee. Many, many thanks to the one and only Lucy Hakevich of The Lightbox for sitting down with me this week and sharing her journey. I hope you all got as much value out of this conversation as I did, and I apologize for the poor quality of the audio. I promise it will be better next week when I thankfully and happily present my conversation with the 
ever venerable Lee Carter of Five Watt Coffee in Minneapolis, Minnesota. If y'all want to check out Lucy's work, and you should, check it out at Lightbox Doco on Instagram and Facebook, and grab yourself a print or a tee or some socks or some undies. She's got it all, and y'all will love her style. I cannot wait to welcome you back for another episode of Hot Coffee for the Creative Soul next week, where we truly believe that you can find the balance between passion and profit, and you can make sustainable revenue while maintaining your artistic integrity. Until next time, y'all. Peace.